Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word this morning. I need your help to teach it. Um, God, I am weak, but I pray that through my weakness that you would be strong. I pray that you would speak through me. I'm just a vessel. Uh, like we just read, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born again. I'm powerless to do that in the life of any person here. Only by your sovereign power, God, can, can anyone here experience this new birth and, and come into a new relationship with you. And so I pray that for anybody here today who is not born again, that today would be the day of salvation, that today that would happen, that a miracle would happen in their heart, and that they would leave here forever changed. And I pray that for those of us who have been born again, that we would just be in awe as we are reminded afresh this morning of the, of the miraculous, powerful work of God that has transformed us that has transformed us from people who once walked in darkness to people who are now uh, citizens of the kingdom of God. Lord, may we be in awe of that and in awe of you this morning. And, and I pray that this, just the reminders that we have would cause worship and praise to rise up in our hearts. We love you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... Um, you know how whenever you you get on a roller coaster, you go to a theme park and you get on a roller coaster, and before the ride starts, usually an attendant will always kind of check, you know, the harness or the thing that's strapping you in to make sure it's locked, right? It's a pretty important thing. Um, I appreciate the fact that they do that um, because it's never good to just assume with things like that when people's lives are at stake, right? You don't want to just assume that everything's good and that it's locked in. Like, like if you were about to jump out of an airplane to go skydiving and the thought crossed your mind, wait, am I... Is, is my parachute fastened on all the way? You wouldn't just assume, hey, yeah, I'm sure it is. It's, it'll probably be fine, right? You would check, right? You would probably ask one, you know, somebody else on the plane, hey, can you make sure that everything's strapped in good, everything is in tight? Because the last thing that you want to do is just assume that something like your parachute being strapped on all the way is the case before you jump out of an airplane because your life is now being put at stake, right? Because in that moment... There's really nothing more important than making sure that your parachute is fastened on all the way. So John chapter 3, the passage we just read, explains the most important thing that could ever happen in your life, being born again. We're talking about the most important decision that you will ever make. 
So we're talking about the new birth. And Jesus' main message in this passage that we just read is that the only way to have eternal life in the kingdom of God is to be born again. Let me repeat that. The only way to have eternal life in the kingdom of God is to be born again. If you want to live, it's imperative that you get this right. It's imperative that you be born again. The craziest thing that you could do is assume that you've been born again, as if it's some box that you've checked to go to heaven without having considered what it means or whether it's actually true of yourself. So just as you wouldn't just jump out of an airplane assuming that your parachute is on all the way, let us never just assume that we've been born again without having thought through what does that mean and is it actually true of my life? Does that make sense? Are you guys with me? Can we all see the importance of this? Amen. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you have no clue what that even means. You're hearing this talk about being born again and it sounds kind of weird or maybe confusing. Now, the good news is that if you're confused by the concept of being born again, you're not alone. A very religious man named Nicodemus in the passage that we just read had the same reaction. And my prayer is that as we read God's Word, He will show you your need to be born again and, that, and He will cause you to experience the new birth. It takes a miracle to be born again. It's being changed from the inside out. And I'm praying, and I hope that you will pray with me, that God will do that in your heart. That you will see that God is good and that in Jesus, He offers you eternal life. And, and as I was just saying, when I was praying before the, uh, before the, right, right after I read the text, for those of us who have been born again, I pray that we grow in our understanding of the miracle that has happened within us this morning. And that as we grow in our understanding, as we come to understand just how amazing this new birth is, that it will cause us to praise and glorify and worship God. So we're going to walk through this passage and we're going to look at three aspects of the new birth this morning, okay? We're going to look at the essentiality of the new birth, the essence of the new birth, and the evidence of the new birth. So the essentiality of the new birth means why is it necessary, why is it essential? The essence of the new birth, meaning how does it happen? And the evidence of the new birth, meaning what results does it produce? How do we know if it's happened in our lives? That's what we're going to do. So first, let's talk about the essentiality of the new birth. Why is it necessary? So if there was ever anyone who seemed to deserve to go to heaven, it would have been Nicodemus. Nicodemus was what you would call a very religious, pious man. He was a ruler of the Jews, which meant that he was one of the leading teachers in the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish council. So he was like an answer man. He was one of the people that if you had a question about God or about religion you would go to see somebody like Nicodemus, and he was supposed to have the answers for you. He was on the in crowd with God, supposedly. He was an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, so he had it in his bloodlines. He followed the law to a T. He knew the law forward and backward. He had even memorized the entire Old Testament, the Torah. It's, if you were going to be a, a Pharisee, if you were going to be a, a ruler back then, a, a, a teacher of the law, you had to memorize the whole thing. So he knew his Bible. He knew his Old Testament. He had even seen some of the signs that Jesus had performed. And he was convinced that God must be with Jesus because no one could do these signs unless God was with him. 
And it's likely that Nicodemus was wanting to learn more to see whether Jesus may be the Messiah that they had been waiting for. So he kind of he comes to Jesus at the, in the nighttime and, and he knows something's up with this Jesus guy. I mean, clearly this is no ordinary person. Clearly there's something special about Jesus, but what is it about him? And so in, in Nicodemus's mind, he was ready for the kingdom of God. He was on God's side. And so he kind of comes to Jesus and, and he says, hey, I can see that God is with you. You know, like I, I'm with God too. And so it was to his great surprise that the first thing that Jesus says to him is, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now you have to understand how mind-blowing this would have been for Nicodemus. For Nicodemus, Nicodemus thought if anybody was qualified to enter the kingdom of God, it would be somebody like him. I mean, after all, so the Jewish people believed back then that if you were a descendant of Abraham then the only way you would not be in, in, enter into the kingdom of God is if you blasphemed God in some horrible way or if you committed some atrocious sin. Like you, you had to really mess it up to get cut off from the people of God and to not be able to enter the kingdom of God. And so, uh, you know, even an, an average, you know, uh, Jewish person who was doing a decent job of following the law would assume that they would enter the kingdom. And certainly a man like Nicodemus, I mean, he's, he's doing all the right things. He's a teacher of the law. He knows the Torah. And so certainly he's going to enter. And then Jesus says, you have to be born again or you can't even get in. In other words, no one, not even Nicodemus, deserves to go to heaven, eternal life. There's only one way in. You must be born again. So this was surprising to Nicodemus, and it may be surprising to some of you. Because, like I said, almost no one appeared more qualified for the kingdom of God than a guy like Nicodemus. And this might be a little bit unsettling. And because if, if Nicodemus doesn't qualify, then how can anybody qualify? You know, like, how can you even get in if he can't? And that's exactly Jesus' point. Nobody qualifies. As Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, there is none righteous. No, not one. How does that sit with you? Have you ever realized that no matter how good you think you are, you can never be good enough to go to heaven? Never. It's necessary to be born again because sin has completely corrupted us from the inside out. Okay? In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul says that apart from Christ, we are, we are spiritually dead. We are dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And this has come about because every single one of us has transgressed God's law. So instead of giving God the honor He deserves by loving Him supremely, by loving Him and adoring Him and worshiping Him more than anything else, which is what He deserves and it's why we were created, instead of doing that, we have complained and grumbled about the things that God has not given us. We've coveted what he gives to others and doesn't give to us. We've worshipped things that he's given us rather than worshipping him. We've boasted as if what he has given us was obtained by our own strength. We've hurt other people made in his image. We've run around like miniature kings and queens demanding that others revolve their lives around us when all the while the universe revolves around him and not us. And that's just to name a few. So as a result, we are spiritually dead 
blind, weak, whatever analogy you want to come. There's many analogies that the Bible uses to describe our spiritual state of brokenness. And, and, I'm, and it's not just that we are spiritually broken and need a little fixing up. We aren't basically good people that made a few mistakes. We are spiritually corrupt through and through, and we need to be made new. John Calvin said it like this when he was commenting on this passage. He said, by the term born again, Jesus means not the amendment of a part, but the renewal of the whole nature. Hence, it follows that there is nothing in us that is not defective. There is nothing in us that is not defective. Sin has corrupted the whole nature, every part. The way Jesus says it in chapter 3 here, of, of, in verses 5 and 6, is he says that, he says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So, so what does that mean? You must be born of the water and the Spirit. Well, it's a clear reference to Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. And Nicodemus would have known this, and Jesus knew that Nicodemus would have known this. So here's what Ezekiel, the Lord, this is what the Lord says through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. So Jesus is saying along with Ezekiel that you must be cleansed from the inside out and be given a new nature. The prophet Ezekiel there was prophesying about how God was going to make a new covenant with his people and no longer would the people of God try to be made right with God by obeying the law, by obeying the Ten Commandments because we couldn't. We've all fallen short. We need to be made new from the inside out. So God promised that he would give us a new nature, that he would give us a new heart, take out the old heart of stone that was hostile to God and disobedient to God and put in a heart of flesh that would love him and obey him. He says, I will cause you to walk in my statutes. That's the promise of the new birth that was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus comes. And Jesus says, I'm here to bring that about. Nicodemus. The new birth, or it's also sometimes called regeneration. That's the theological term, regeneration. It cleanses you from the inside out and makes you new. And, and Jesus is using a, a physical metaphor of, of childbirth to illustrate this spiritual reality in John chapter 3. So, I mean, when you think about the metaphor, why does he use that metaphor? Well, it's because to be born again quite literally means that the old you dies and a new you is born. You have new life. Just as when a baby is born, new life comes into the world. When you are born again, you now have a new life. You're a new creation. Physically, your body is the same, but it is a spiritual regeneration. And that new life is brought about by the Holy Spirit. And that new life is in Jesus. Has this happened in you? Remember what we said at the start. Don't just bypass that question too quickly. 
Has this happened in you? So we've established the essentiality of the new birth, why it's necessary, because we are corrupt through and through with sin. But what about the essence of the new birth? How exactly does it happen? What happens in us to make us a new creation? Well, the short answer to that question is God makes it happen. That's how it happens. The triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit conspires together to elect and to reconcile and transform sinners into new creations. And I'm choosing my language here in this section of the sermon very carefully. And so I want you to pay attention because we're, we're, we're talking about, uh, like, I, <laughs> I am preaching and teaching on this passage with fear and trembling. Because I'm, I was texting uh, the, the other elders earlier this week, and I, and I said, guys, I feel like I'm in deep theological waters this week. We're talking about marvelous, glorious, magnificent things. Things that no human being could ever fully wrap his or her mind around. And so even now, I, I ask you guys to pray for me and ask, ask God to help me as I teach here. Because I need God's help, and we all need God's help to even be able to, to fathom and understand uh, what His Word is saying here. So the triune God conspires together to save sinners, to cause the new birth. So, so the new birth is initiated by the Father, it's enabled by the Son, and it's applied by the Spirit. Initiated by the Father, enabled by the Son, applied by the Spirit. So let me talk about each of those three. Talk about how each person of the Trinity is involved in the new birth. First, first the new birth is initiated by the Father. So Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So this may have reminded some of you of a couple of weeks back, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, where uh, John says in the prologue, the beginning of the book, he says, to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born... Hear that? There's that analogy. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To be born of God is to be born again or born of the Spirit. It's not something you can do, but rather it's something that happens to you. That which is of the Spirit is the Spirit. That which is wrought or made to happen by the flesh is flesh. From start to finish, the new birth is God's activity in us. Again, we read Ezekiel 36 earlier. I want to point out to you again, I want you to listen for how God is the one who is doing all of this in you. Listen to the emphasis. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove the heart of stone. I will give you the heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. From start to finish, God does it. This is the new birth that Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus. He couldn't understand the need to be born again to enter the kingdom of God, quite honestly, because he was too confident in his own ability to be righteous. And even the ability to see yourself rightly, to be able to recognize that sin has corrupted you through and through, did you know that even that is a gift from God, a gift of the Holy Spirit? A repentant heart is a gift from God. Second Timothy 
chapter 2, verse 25, Paul tells Timothy to pray for opponents of the gospel that, that God may grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Do you hear that? God grants repentance. God grants re- repentance is a gift from God. And then Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 tells us that faith is a gift from God. So you know what that means, Christian? If you're a Christian, if you have repented of your sins and believed the gospel, it's because God granted it to you. He gave you a repented heart. He gave you the faith. And every morning that you wake up still believing is because God wakes you up still believing. God supplies the faith that enables you to believe and to persevere. So the Father initiates the new birth by choosing you and then giving you to the Son. All right? And then the new birth, so the new birth is initiated by the Father and it's enabled or made possible by the Son. So Jesus also explained to Nicodemus in this passage that something had to happen before the new birth could be possible. And it's why Jesus came. Look at verses 13 to 15. Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus told Nicodemus that the reason he descended from heaven was to be lifted up, so that whoever believes will live. So what in the world does that mean, first of all, and what in the world is this business about a serpent on a pole? Jesus is referencing Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 to 9. In Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 to 9, the people of Israel were wandering around in the wilderness. God had delivered them from Pharaoh and from Egypt. They were wandering in the wilderness. God had promised to bring them into the promised land, but they were grumbling against God, and they were complaining that despite the fact that God had been so good to them, He had provided everything that they needed. He had delivered them from slavery, but they continued to grumble against Him and to grumble against Moses. They had turned on God despite God's care for them. And so in response, God disciplined them by sending fiery serpents among the people, poisonous snakes, in other words. And many people were dying. And so when they realized their sin, when they woke up to what was happening, they asked Moses, pray to God for us, to heal us, to make the serpents go away. We've realized our sin and we repent of our sin. And so Moses prayed for them and God told Moses to make a bronze serpent in the likeness of the poisonous snakes, to put it up on a pole and to hold it up and anyone who looked on the serpent in faith would be healed. Would live. That's Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 to 9. So to look upon the serpent lifted up on the pole, the bronze serpent, was to believe that God's provision, that by God's provision, they could have life. So Jesus is drawing two parallels here by referring to this story. First, he's alluding to his own lifting up that's going to come. Jesus will be lifted up on a cross to die to take the punishment for sin. So that by looking on and believing that Jesus has died for your sin, you can have life. And secondly, Jesus is drawing a parallel between people now and Israel then. All of humanity, including good religious people like Nicodemus, are in the same boat. So what Jesus is telling Nicodemus here 
is he's saying, Nicodemus, in the same way that the people of God were all under the judgment of God through, these, through the, the means of these uh, poisonous serpents, you know, uh, biting people and seeing lots of people die in Numbers chapter 21, you guys are in the same boat right now. You are all under the judgment of God, and you all need to look upon the one who has been lifted up if you want to have life. And that's why I have come. Jesus is explaining that he's going to go to the cross, and he's going to be lifted up on the cross to die so that those who look on him and believe can live. It's the only way to have life. We were uh, out on Friday night sharing the gospel uh, with uh, people in you know, Old Town Alexandria, and we talked to uh, a couple of, uh, couple of girls, and uh, there was one girl that we, we talked to, um, and she, we had a great conversation. She told us she was Muslim, and, um, and one of the things that she said, we were talking about the differences between Islam and Christianity, and one of the things she said is that in Islam, uh, you know, good deeds and bad deeds uh, on Judgment Day are going to be on a scale. And so, basically, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you're going to go to heaven. And so that's kind of the, the point, right, is the, the good deeds need to outweigh the bad deeds. And what, I, what we were explaining to her was uh, that, uh, in reality, that can't really work because the reality is, is that God is so holy that even one sin will separates us from God for eternity. Just one sin tips the scales. It, it doesn't even tip the scales. It crushes the scales. It breaks the scales. There is no way we could ever tip those scales back in our favor. It doesn't matter how many good works you do. You can never atone for your own sin. You can never make up for your own sin. Because just one sin puts you in incalculable debt. The wages for sin is death. You can't tip those scales. And this is why Jesus had to die and rise on our behalf. This is why the Son enables the new birth to be possible. Only Jesus can tip those scales for us. Our sin debt had to be taken care of before we could be reconciled to God. Jesus lived the perfect life of obedience that we failed to live, and he died the death that we deserved to die. And then he rose from the dead. And because he is alive, and because he died in our place, we can have life in his name. That's good news. But there's another aspect to the new birth that Jesus explains in John 3. The Father initiates the new birth, the Son enables the new birth, and the Holy Spirit applies the new birth. Being born again is a miracle. Jesus tells Nicodemus in verse 8, he says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus compared the activity of the Spirit of God to the wind. And we can't control the wind. It comes and goes as it pleases. We can only see its effects as the trees sway when it blows or as the leaves rustle. Or, you know, Just this morning I was sitting on my, my patio enjoying, enjoying the cool uh, weather in our sunroom with the windows open and I was feeling the, the cool breeze just kind of blow on me. And, and you can't see it, but you just you feel it when it comes through. And in the same way, that the, the wind blows where it wishes, we can't manufacture the new birth. And Jesus says in John 6, 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. So in the new birth, the Holy Spirit 
unites us to Christ by faith. There is no eternal life apart from Jesus. So the way that the Spirit applies the new birth to us is that uh, His role is to unite us to Jesus because in Jesus is life. Without the Holy Spirit, all that Jesus has done for our salvation can't help us because we're still separated from Him. The way that the, the Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus so that we can have life in Him is by giving us the gift of faith. So He opens our eyes spiritually to see and to believe. He opens our eyes to see our own sinfulness and our inability to be righteous. He opens our eyes to see the reality that judgment is coming and that we're guilty before God. He opens our eyes to see that Jesus is truly the Son of God who died and rose for us. That is the work and the role of the Holy Spirit in the new birth. Now, in your experience, if you've been born again, then the way it feels like it happens and the way you experience it is that those two things seem to happen at the same time. Like, at the same time, like, uh, you know, I believe and the Spirit causes me to be born again. I decide to repent and believe and the Spirit causes me to be born again, almost like simultaneously. But in reality, regeneration, being born again, must come before faith. Because you were dead in your trespasses and in your sin. Faith is not possible apart from the Holy Spirit first regenerating you. The Holy Spirit must give you life, must give you spiritual sight, must raise you spiritually from the dead so that you can see and so that you can believe. First uh, John chapter, or chapter 5, verse 1 uh, puts it really well. It says that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So notice something about how that passage is constructed. John does not say that everyone who believes will be born of God, does he? He says that everyone who believes has been born of God. So if you are a Christian and you believe, it is because God opened your eyes through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does not just come to regenerate us and then leave like, oh, my work here is done. I'm going to go off and do something else now. He indwells us and He lives within us, empowering us to live new lives in Christ. And again, this is a miraculous and mysterious thing. It can't be predicted. It can't be forced. But when it happens, you see the effects in somebody's life. The way the triune God works in concert, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to bring about the new birth in us is amazing. The Father initiates new birth by electing people to salvation according to His sovereign will. The Son enables the new birth through His substitutionary death and resurrection. And the Spirit applies the new birth by cleansing and regenerating us. I hope that one of the things that you'll see as we, as we just looked at how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all are in perfect unity working together to, to cause this amazing miracle of new birth to happen in us. I hope that you'll see in that, that that God, there's no part of God that is reluctant to save His people. I think some people have this idea that like the, like Jesus saves us from the Father. That like the Father is kind of grumpy and impatient 
and Jesus is, is kind of like the pacifist who's really gentle and nice, and he's going to kind of shield us from, from the Father because he's just kind of mean. But brothers and sisters, the, the Trinity is in perfect and happy unity in bringing about new birth in God's people. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all just as zealous to save you and to cause you to be born again. All three members of the Trinity. With his whole being, God delights to pour out his grace on his people and save them. So how do you know if you've been born again? And what, do you, what should you do if you don't think you are? Let's talk about the evidence of the new birth. We've talked about, uh, we've talked about the uh, essentiality of the new birth, the essence of the new birth, and now let's talk about the evidence of the new birth. How do you know if it's happened? So by using the metaphor of birth, like I shared earlier, Jesus is showing us here that being born again means that your life will be totally new. So the Holy Spirit indwells Christians and gives them the desire and the ability to do the things that are pleasing to God. And there's, there's several specific changes that happen in Christians as a result of being born again. I'll, I'll share with you a few of them. Um, first, there's a new holiness of life that begins to be produced in us. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 says, No one born of God, you notice that phrase right there? No one who's been born again makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been, what? Born of God. So notice the connection between being born of God and ceasing to willfully continue in sin. Now, when John, when John says there in chapter 3, keeps on sinning, what that means is that means to willfully continue in sin without actively fighting against it to gain victory over it. It doesn't mean that you're never going to sin again and that if you have ever sinned that you need to pray the prayer again or get born again or get rebaptized or something. That's not what this passage is referring to. What he is talking about here is that if you've been born again and the Holy Spirit dwells within you, then you will have a growing hatred for sin in your life and a growing love for God, and that will produce evident change in you. That will be evident. And so if you are actively continuing to live in sin, whether that's sexual morality or idolatry or anger or whatever that might be, and you are not actively fighting against it, and you're not even particularly that bothered by your sin, that may be evidence that you have not been born again. And you need to be honest with yourself and before God about this. Again, don't assume that parachute is strapped on all the way. Don't make that jump. Because this is eternity that hangs in the balance, brothers and sisters. You need to be sure of whether or not you've been born again. And so if you're not born again, my prayer is that you are extremely uncomfortable this morning. Because sometimes we need to get a little bit uncomfortable if we're in a precarious position. I don't want you to be comfortable in your danger. I want you to be disturbed so that you will flee from the wrath to come, like John the Baptist says, and that you will run into the arms of Jesus. And you'll call on him, Jesus, make me new. Change me from the inside out. I don't want to be this person anymore. I can't change myself. Help me, God. Change me. And if you'll call on him like that in sincerity, he will do it. But do not assume that because you walked an aisle, or because you prayed a prayer, or because your parents are Christian, that you are going to heaven 
Because that is not how you enter the kingdom of God. Not even Nicodemus could get in on his own merit. There will be a new holiness of life that will mark your life if you've been born again. And there will also be a love for God and for other people. So one chapter later, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, says this. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You see the connection there? If you've been born of God, then you will love one another. Now John is specifically talking about love for other believers here. But we could also include love for all people, even our enemies. Loving others, what does that mean? We don't have, I mean, we could, we could preach an entire sermon series on that. But it means partially being willing to forgive others when they wrong us. It means putting the needs of other people above our own. It means being generous and kind and not stingy and selfish. It means not using other people to better our lives, but rather laying down our lives for the good of others. And it, and guys, listen, it means desiring to spend time around other Christians. You can't obey this passage if you're not a part of a church. You can't love one another, meaning other Christians, if you're not in relationship with other Christians. So is this true of your life? Do you, do you love one another? Do you have love for other Christians? Do you have love for the people in your life, your family members? Does is that, is that mark your life? And third, the fruit of the Spirit. Another helpful passage that describes the change that the new birth has in us is Galatians 5, to 23, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. So if you've been born of the Spirit, born of God, there will be fruit. What is fruit? Fruit is just something that naturally is produced. So like an apple tree produces what? Yes, you guys are smart. Apple tree produces apples. Why does an apple tree produce apples? That's just what it was designed to do. It's what it was created to do. So if you've been born again, if you've been made into a new creation, then what you've been designed to produce is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the things that will begin to mark the life of one who has been born of God. I really want you to pause and think with me here for a second. Are these things present and growing in your life? I don't mean do you perfectly exhibit all of them all the time. Lord knows nobody does that, including myself. But are you growing in them? Are they evident? Can others see them in you? Do you see them in yourself when you take an honest look at your life? Might not be perfect in them, and there may be some of those that you could look at and go, man, I know there's a couple of these that I really need to grow in. Like one of the ones this year that I've been praying specifically over my life, especially over the past year, is gentleness, that I would grow in gentleness. Because I think uh, men especially can be prone to just be harsh, right? And we can be hard. And, and so I prayed, God, give me a gentle heart, right? Like, help me be gentle and kind 
towards others. I'd encourage you to, to do the same, like memorize this passage and pray these things over your life. God, help me to grow in these things. And he will. If you're born again, he will. And if you don't think you're born again, then first you need to be born again before these things can be produced in your life truly. The purpose of thinking through the evidence of being born again is, is twofold, depending on who you are, okay? Uh, if you're born again already, then fruit and all the things that we've talked about serve as an assurance that you have been made new. It's meant to give you assurance. That's why the, uh, John wrote the book, the letter of 1 John. Uh, there in the end of your Bible, he says, We write these things to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, is what he says in chapter 5. So in other words, he's saying like, look, if you can see how, you know, you might not be where you want to be, but praise God, I, you know, I'm not where I used to be. God has changed me. I am, I am being made new. I am being conformed into the image of my creator. Then you can have confidence that you are born of God and that you are secure in your salvation and God will finish what he has started in you. So that's the first point of, of looking at fruit. But if you're not born again, then, as I was just saying earlier, the purpose of, of examining to see whether, you know, there's fruit in your life is to cause you to wake up and open your eyes and see that you need to be born again. This is how God saved me when I was a nominal Christian, guys. I did not give my life to Christ. I was not born again until I was 24. But I grew up in church. I grew up in church. I said all the right things. I knew all the right things. I knew all the Bible stories. My parents were Christian. My dad was the chairman of the deacons. My mom was on the missions committee. All that stuff. But I was dead in my sin. And I realized that as I started to read passages like Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and I realized I don't have that fruit in my life. The Holy Spirit convicted me as I realized that I had claimed Christ but was living in opposition to Him by my life. The fruit of my life proved that I hadn't been born again, and so I called on the name of the Lord Jesus, and He saved me, and He changed me from the inside out. If that's you, and you know it, then you need to call on God to save you today. You need God, by His Spirit, to do a miracle in you, to change you from the inside out. You don't just need to put things in order. You don't need to go, and, go home and, and, and try to fix some things up and make things better, and work on your life, or work on getting right with God. You don't need to get right with God. You need God to make you right. That's what you need to happen. You need something to happen to you. And you can do that by professing your faith in Jesus and asking God, begging God to give you a new heart. And I'm, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that this morning in a minute. In a few minutes, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and we're going to spend some time in prayer, and we're going to have some people out in the hallway, some of our deacons out in the hallway who are going to be there. If you just want to slip out to the side and you want to pray for somebody, you can do that this morning. And I'm going to encourage you, do it. Don't put it off. Don't assume that that parachute is on this morning. Now, before we wrap up, I do want to talk briefly about the implications of the new birth on evangelism. If being born again is a miraculous work of God, the obvious question that may come up in your mind is, does that mean that we can kick our feet up and stop sharing the gospel since God is going to save who He wants anyways? No. Because the means by which the Spirit gives faith is through Christians giving a verbal witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So J.I. Packer, who just passed on to be with the Lord, he was a pastor and an author, uh, he passed on earlier this year. In his book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, which I would highly commend to you, 
Uh, He writes, evangelism is man's work, but the giving of the faith is God's. Evangelism is man's work, but the giving of the faith is God's. And God gives the gift of faith as Christians evangelize. So the fact that the new birth is a miracle means that the results don't hinge on us. Just like you can't take credit for your salvation, you can't take credit for somebody else's. I know that I can't change anyone here, and I love that fact, and that gives me comfort every week before I'm going to come and to preach, because I know it doesn't hang on my shoulders. I know that if I just take this, and I proclaim to you what the Word of God says, and to the best of my ability, by the power of the Spirit, try to help you to apply it to your life, that God is the one, by the power of the Spirit, who's going to take it and change you, and change your heart, and make you more like Christ. It's God's power. That does it. And it's the same for you when you share the gospel with your neighbors or your family members or strangers out in public. It's God who will work through you. Like Kendall testified earlier, you don't need a Bible degree. You don't need to have all the answers. We don't need gimmicks. You don't have to do friendship evangelism where you make friends with somebody for three years before you finally share the gospel with them. You can do it. If you've been born again, you know the gospel. Christ died for sinners of whom I am the foremost and rose from the dead. And he invites you to trust in him and be born again. If you know that much, then God can and will use you and work through your weakness. One of my favorite stories, some of you have heard me tell this, was Charles Spurgeon, who was a preacher in England in the 1800s. He was testing the acoustics out at a new venue because back then they didn't have microphones. So you had to use your big boy voice and you had to, you know, the acoustics mattered. And he was testing out the acoustics, and so he, he got up to the pulpit, and he cried out, John 135. He just quoted John 135, and it says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And little did he know, there was a worker up in the rafters working on something, and when this worker heard that passage, hollered out, immediately the Holy Spirit convicted him. He went home straight away, And that night he got down on his knees and he repented and he placed his faith in Christ. And Spurgeon didn't even learn about this until until some time later when he found out somebody sent him a letter and shared this story with him. He had no idea. Because why? The power doesn't rest in the preacher, it doesn't rest in the proclaimer, it rests in God and in the gospel. God is not calling us to produce results for him. We can't. He's simply calling us to be faithful witnesses. You know the only way we can fail at evangelism is if we don't do it. The only way. I've been so encouraged by all the stories I'm hearing, by the way, by the participation of church members in Gospel and Grub, by, by the stories I'm hearing about from you guys about sharing with family and with friends and you know just stories that come across on the WhatsApp. I'm so blessed by this church, so blessed by you guys. Uh, it's a joy. Like... Like Paul says in Philippians 4, 1, he tells the church of Philippi, he says, you are my joy and my crown and my boasting. And like, I feel that way about you guys, about our church. You are my joy and my crown. I love you guys so much. I love seeing God at work through you. It just can't tell you how much, how awesome it is as your pastor to see it. God has been faithful to work as we're sowing the seed. So let me encourage you to do so all the more in the lives of people around you. God's power will work through the weakness of our witness. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we close. This morning we've seen the essentiality of the new birth. So everyone, including Nicodemus, must be born again to enter the kingdom of God.
we've seen the essence of the new birth. The Father initiates, the Son enables, and the Spirit applies the new birth to us. And we've seen the evidence of the new birth. So when we're born again, we become new creations, and the fruit of Christ's likeness is produced in us. I want to invite you to respond this morning as we take some time to pray and to sing. And, and I'm going to ask um, I'm going to ask Carrie and the team, actually, could we just, just play the, the closing song just a, a couple of times? Um, you know, and we'll just play as long as we need, as long as people need to respond. Uh, we'll just pray and we'll sing. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you guys, you can stand, you can remain seated, but we're going we're gonna to take some time to respond to God. So if you're not sure, if you're born again, then what I would love for you to do is I'd love for you to just slip out into the hall and go talk to somebody and pray with somebody who's out there and, uh, and, and ask them you know, to help you make that decision uh, this morning. Uh, you could also do so right in your seat. Or maybe you just need to pray with somebody in general. Maybe, you know, Jared, I'm, I'm born again, but uh, I've just been struggling this week. I need somebody to pray with. You can slip out in the hall. That's what those deacons are there for is to pray with you. Um, just ask God to do Ezekiel 36, 26 in you. I, where God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from, your, from you and give you a heart of flesh. Plead with God to do that in your heart. And if you are a Christian, if you are born again, then this morning spend some time praising God for miraculously saving you and changing you. And then pray for whoever God puts on your heart, people in your life that are not born again. Pray that God will do this miracle in them this morning.